The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us today. We're very glad that you're here, and thank you for communicating with us through our Facebook page, our Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook, and through email. And we are very glad that you're sharing with your friends and your recovery community and your spiritual community about the Spirit of Recovery. It is wonderful to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery here on Unity.fm, Unity Online Radio. And we are very glad to know that you are being moved um, by what we have uh, here on the program. We know that our guests are making a difference in your life and in your recovery. And uh, we're very glad about that, getting you thinking about some things, getting you uh, uh touching your heart, and we're just very happy and always glad to know what's going on with you. We want you to be aware also that you can listen to the Spirit of Recovery, of course, through your computer. You can listen also on your smartphone, and you can listen to our archives anytime by going to uh, www.unity.fm backslash program backslash spirit of recovery and you will find there the archives of all our programs and listen 24-7. So uh, we invite you to do that. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community and we have guests who are down to earth, who are knowledgeable and who are innovative. People who are in recovery themselves or people who work with or write for recovering people People who have uh, spiritual insights, and they're bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking, that get you uh, deepening your spiritual path, that get you deepening uh, recovery if you are a recovering person, or get you introduced to the concepts uh, that are so important in recovery and spirituality. We want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place so that if you are a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member in your own recovery, 
story as a family member or a family member or a friend of someone that has the disease of addiction, whether or not they're in recovery or whether uh, or if you're just somebody that's looking for information or curious, interested in the process of recovery, Spirit of Recovery welcomes you and we welcome your participation in our discussions. My name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister. I'm also a recovery counselor. And I'm a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And years ago, those relationships got me on an active path of personal growth and recovery as a friend and family member and uh, involved in my own spiritual development. And since that My walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that walk transforms my life very richly every day, and it keeps me growing. So I am grateful. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share with you about spirituality and recovery and to bring you excellent topics and fantastic guests. Our topic today is Recovering Sacred Sexuality. It's a really important uh, topic for recovering people. Um, It's got lots of uh, different layers to it, and uh, we're going to be hearing today from our guest, Dr. Robert Hemfelt. He has joined us here before on Spirit of Recovery. Uh, Dr. Hemfelt has a rich background as a licensed psychologist and marriage and family therapist. He works with adults and adolescents on marriage, dating, family, and other relationship issues. He has a master's and uh, a doctorate in counseling and psychology from the University of Houston, and he has uh, been the supervisor of therapeutic services for the Substance Abuse Study Clinic of the Texas Research Institute of Mental Sciences and also as an alcoholism intervention specialist for a Fortune 500 corporation. He's a professor of psychology for the University of Phoenix on the Dallas campus, and he's a member of the adjunct faculty of the Art Institute of Dallas. He has uh, published uh, numerous books, um, presented seminars and workshops at major churches and uh, companies throughout the nation, and has appeared on national radio and television programs. And so he's uh, very well-versed in this topic of recovery, spirituality, of sacred sexuality, and we're just delighted uh, to have him here with us today. So, Dr. Hemfelt, thank you for being with us. Anna, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to talk about a topic that uh, has such widespread currency in our time. Great. You you know... uh, Certainly, where the issue of sexuality is concerned, uh, most people in our culture, we get kind of shame-based about that. Tell us about what that means. What does it mean to be shame-based, and why does it get so involved with our sexuality, and how does it affect us? Well, the addictionologist John Bradshaw has said that every addiction begins and ends in shame, And what he means by that, Anna, is that uh, some sense that I'm not okay, I'm not adequate, may lead me into the practice of an addiction, either as anesthesia or diversion from that pain. Uh, The practice of the addiction, however, brings more consequences, oftentimes brings the violation of one's own values, 
And so new shame is heaped upon the addict, and that spins around and around as a cycle. Shame and a sense of inadequacy draws me to an addiction. The practice of the addiction um, imposes additional layers and accretions of new shame. And so, yes, one of the, uh, the things we do in all addiction recovery is shame reduction, especially on this topic of sexuality, because it tends to have a rather long shame-based history uh, in the 2,000-year march of Christianity. <laughs> Where do you think that comes from? And, you know, again, cultures are all different, and uh, certainly our sexuality is obviously uh, an aspect of ourselves. It's very close to our identity. We're very vulnerable uh, in that area. I mean, you have to be vulnerable to be aware of your sexuality. Cultures have different uh, ways of approaching it. But it does seem, unfortunately, um, like the Christian culture and maybe sometimes Western cultures do have a, a distorted or a, a kind of a polarized view of sexuality. Where did that come from? Well, I think it uh, goes back to the um, 4,000-year history of monotheism in Western civilization and Middle Eastern civilizations. The uh, ancient Jewish culture was highly patriarchal. Uh, Christianity, from its origins, tended to be rather patriarchal. And so we have... um, key persons who helped to shape modern Christianity, uh, the Apostle Paul, who seemed to go as far as to say that uh, it would be better not to marry, but if you're going to burn with sexuality, it's better to do that within marriage. And uh, we sometimes forget Paul was uh, very apocalyptic in his thinking. He expected a physical return of Jesus in a matter of months or years, and basically Paul felt, you know, life needs to be suspended to anticipate that return, and probably only second to Paul uh, was the 5th century theologian Augustine, who in his uh, first uh, iteration of his life uh, was what we might call a pagan, and uh, lived with a woman outside of marriage, had an illicit child. Once he converted to Christianity, uh, he also took some very rigid stances about sex, saying that sex is uh, only for the purpose of procreation, and that one is not to do it as an expression of joy or pleasure uh, or love. And that has ricocheted down by the 10th and 11th centuries. Uh, the Catholic Church declared that uh, to be truly godly as a priest or a nun, one must be celibate. So we've had this uh, very uneasy relationship between Christianity and sexuality. Uh, for about 3,500 years, going all the way back to our deepest Judeo-Christian roots. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what what does it uh, take, you think, to make a shift in that within this Western context and this culturally Christian context that we live in? We'll, we'll come back to the spirituality, real spirituality part in a minute, but but just the cultural aspects. Well, the good news there, Anna, is I think we're making uh, tremendous progress um, in the United States alone. In the 1960s, we had what uh, some people called the sexual revolution. In the 1970s and 80s, we had the woman's movement. So there have been some powerful vectors, forces, uh, pushing open the gates that we take a more enlightened view of sexuality. Uh, But we, we have a long way to go. Uh, my concern is that even here in 21st century uh, American life, we tend to see two extreme polarities in the approach to sexuality. One of those is uh, kind of the older, what I call, prohibition of sexuality. You know, basically seeing it as something, uh, if not evil, at least something very um, seductive and potentially sinister, something that needs to be very tightly capped and repressed and suppressed. At the other extreme, we see what I call the making profane of sexuality, where there is an overexposure of sexuality and an exploitation of sexuality. And if we had to even assign two 20th century personalities to this on the side of the prohibition of sexuality. Uh, we might have seen the late uh, Reverend Jerry Falwell expressing, you know, very conservative views, almost a censorship of sexuality. At the opposite extreme, in terms of the making profane of sexuality. We have Hugh Hefner and Playboy magazine and uh, tremendous objectification and exploitation. So somewhere between these polarities of the profanation of sex and the prohibition of sexuality, in the middle there is a reverence and healthy celebration of sexuality, and that's That's the goal, and certainly that's very important for anyone suffering from a sexual or romantic addiction. Mm -hmm. What is it that creates the polarities? And, you know, what I think of, again, not to pick on him, but he's an obvious example, I I think was Jimmy Swaggart. Is that correct? That he um, obviously was very prohibitive about sex and what he said, and then I think he was involved in engaging uh, women who were prostitutes, and I think that's correct. So what, not to pick on him, but what what is that? What's that about, and how how do we get those polarities in an individual and in society, what you just described? Uh, Well, I think it has to do with almost a schizophrenic approach we take towards sexuality. Um, a, a quick example of this would be, I think you could uh, interview a, a, a typical 
middle class, upper middle class, well-educated couple? Uh, what are your beliefs about uh, sexuality? And on the one hand, I think they could give um, uh, a very uh, politically correct statement that sex is a gift from God and something beautiful to be cherished and shared within a marriage. And uh, <clears throat> at the same time that they are voicing uh, that good endorsement of healthy sexuality, we may have a marriage that's uh, locked in sexual dysfunction. Uh, we may have uh, uh, one or both partners engaged in infidelity. So we, we've had this long schism where sex was repeatedly you know, relegated into that realm of being considered uh, profane. Uh, we're trying to merge that with a new, more enlightened view and, uh, to be honest, many 21st century couples uh, still suffer from that bifurcation. Uh, is sex a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How do, how do we find that midpoint? Mm-hmm. So maybe that somehow is so ingrained in, in us, as you were saying earlier about the shame base, that although intellectually we may have a more enlightened view that there's still work for us to do in our culture uh, in Absolutely. recovering in fact, a real experience. One, Go ahead. Yeah, one example of that, Anna, uh, routinely when I'm working with patients, um, I will ask them, uh, what is the sex education you receive from your parents? And even uh, a decade, more than a decade into the 21st century, most of the time, Uh, they stare back uh, with a blank expression on their face and there's just silence that, well, I I didn't hear anything from my parents about sexuality. And so, again, uh, we we have this schizophrenic view. Uh, You can turn on television and see uh, endless shows with uh, sexual innuendo and sexual topics, and yet in the heart of a family, uh, we may be embarrassed to even transmit sexual values from parent to child through healthy in-family sex education. Mm-hmm. Right, really creates a, a real dilemma, like you said, a real sense of separation um, within a person within a family within a culture. Um, wow! Yeah, you know, in fact, I, I I was thinking recently as I was uh, walking through the magazine rack of a grocery store and uh, glanced at uh, some of the women's magazines like Cosmopolitan, and uh, you know here we see. Hold on to that thought. We got, it's time for our break, but uh, yes. we'll be right back to that and hear what uh, what you saw on those racks, on the oh, magazine okay. racks. <laughs> we'll be right back. Our goal at Unity Online Radio is to continue expanding our spiritual programming and growing our listening audience. 
To help us become an ever stronger voice in today's world, we ask for your support. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Do you sometimes feel as though the door to happiness has closed and there's no other door in sight? In her book, Ask Yourself This, Unity Minister Wendy Craig Purcell reminds us that Everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Recovering Sacred Sexuality. My guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. He is a licensed psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist. He is a, a specialist in addiction and in relationships um, and in recovery and spirituality. And so we are uh, very glad to have him with us on the show today, and we're talking about uh, the ideas of what is sacred sexuality, what sexual addiction, and how does that all work together, and what do recovering people need to know about recovering our sacred sexuality. Before I get back to my conversation with Dr. Hemfelt, I invite you to join me for a moment of quiet, a moment of peace here in the Serenity Minute. 
invite you to share this constructive idea with me. Relax, allow your mind to open, your heart to open, and hear this idea. I embrace my God-given sexuality. I am whole, I am clean, I am good. God loves me. I embrace my God-given sexuality. I am whole, I am clean, I am good. God loves me. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And now I'm back to our conversation here with Dr. Robert Hemfelt. And um, before the break, we were discussing what you had noticed when you said you were the other day at the store and uh, looking at the women's magazines and uh, noticed sort of what was going on with those. So what did you find out? What did you notice? Well, in in walking through a grocery store and and looking at the magazine rack, uh, looking really at both the women's and the men's magazines, one gets a, uh, a sense of how sex is being uh, almost overly promoted and a tremendous preoccupation with uh, body shape and body size and uh, sexual performance. Um, I recently glanced at the cover of a Cosmopolitan magazine and literally every headline story on the cover dealt with some aspect of sexuality. Uh, So we have that dimension in our culture, and I would contrast that with the fact that uh, I do a lot of couple counseling, and typically when I ask an individual or a couple about sexual activity in their life, uh, I can sense the hesitation, the reservation. So we still have this cultural bifurcation that on the one hand we're almost overly uh, promoting and promiscuous in our approach to sexuality, and all at the same time we still have this lingering prohibitionistic attitude that uh, there's something fundamentally wrong or bad about sex, and uh, I think the task in the 21st century here, and hopefully the church can be a leader in this, is to pull away from those two bifurcated extremes and find a merger in the middle where, yes, I have healthy respect for uh, values with and boundaries around my sexuality, but there is not a uh, an encasement of uh, shame and disdain toward my sexuality. And uh, just as an example of how extreme that disdain can be, one of the early Christian church fathers, uh, Origins, uh, no one knows for certain if this is fact or legend, but at least by legend, he supposedly castrated himself um, as an act of commitment to his Christian walk. So, uh, as I say, this goes back hundreds, even several thousand years, 
and we're trying to find new high ground here in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. That What is sexual addiction? I, I, it's related to all that you've been talking about. What is it? Well, uh, for one thing, Anne, it's extremely widespread. Uh, we, we don't have accurate numbers on this, but um, consistently what I'm reading from leading national addictionologists is that if we looked at the different eating, the different uh, addictions, eating disorders, uh, chemical dependencies, and sexual and romance addictions, uh, most authorities will say hands down, if we are just talking about the sheer numbers of persons involved, um, the quantity in the sexual addiction category uh, far overshadows chemical dependencies or eating disorders. And so sexual addictions such as having multiple affairs, uh, being uh, addicted to pornography on the Internet, uh, just to cite two examples, um, this is rampant in our culture. Yes, I've noticed uh, lately in the information I get about, you know, addiction recovery professional conferences and so forth, that there have been more and more uh, featured uh, tracks on uh, the online pornography and also even just some whole conferences about that. And it's what the gist that I'm getting from just the uh, advertisements, it sounds like that the amount of um, traffic with online pornography is huge and that it has increased people's access to pornography. Is, is that accurate? Uh, yes. We, we now have the technology where, uh, unfortunately, pornography can be carried in your pocket on a smartphone. It can be accessed on any computer. And... Um, the whole notion of pornography, the word itself means to expose that which should be kept discreet. And uh, I think, ironically, the shame that we oftentimes uh, impose on our sexuality actually fuels the preoccupation with pornography because pornography is uh, by its nature, somewhat uh, illicit, uh, hidden, something done secretively. And um, with sexual addiction, we have two powerful drivers. One, uh, sexuality, uh, the arousal and climax can tap into those portions of the brain uh, that activate our deepest pleasure centers. Uh, pleasure centers that uh, are similar to ones that are illuminated on an imaging of the brain by drugs such as uh, heroin. So we we have this powerful potential to stimulate, overstimulate that pleasure center of the brain. Compounded on top of that, uh, oftentimes relationship romantic and sexual addictions are compounded one on top of another. 
And if I am lonely, my sexual addiction not only taps into that uh, addictive pleasure center, but it also gives me the temporary illusion that I am connected to someone or something. And uh, remember, I can be in a, a marriage, I can be in a, a family, and subjectively feel very alone. Uh, we live in a culture that oftentimes tends to lead to depersonalization. You know, I'm a, a functioning cog on a wheel in a corporate machine. Uh, mm-hmm. Families are moving at such a fast pace. We don't have good emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. And that combination of aloneness and that sense of wanting to trigger that deep pleasure center of the brain, those dual forces uh, are powerful propellants in a sexual addiction. What's the solution? What are... uh what uh, is the way to begin to move out of that uh, sexual addiction? Because as you're saying, in a sense, you're, the chemicals aren't chemi- they're not, you're not taking in chemicals. You're active, we're activating our own uh, internal chemicals from emotions. Well, the, and, yes, how do you do yes, that with we, that? Well, we sometimes forget, Anna, that um, the most powerful chemist- uh, chemistry or pharmacy in the world is lodged between our ears. And um, that pleasure center of the brain, the satiation center, uh, is a beautiful part of our brain uh, that God has imparted to us. But if my life feels empty, vacant, incomplete in other domains, I may become addicted to triggering that pleasure center attempting to trigger it over and over again. Now, we know what does not work in terms of recovery, and that is if the individual simply shames himself or is shamed by loved ones. Remember, we said that addictions begin and end in shame. Shame pulls us in. The addiction compounds on top new layers of shame. Uh, This is why uh, many people are frustrated. They may, uh, let's say, engage in an affair, feel tremendous remorse, shame themselves, make a pledge this will never happen again. Uh, Three months down the road, they find themselves in another uh, illicit affair. So simply condemning, shaming, prohibiting our sexuality is kind of like damming up water. You can build the dam, but eventually the water is going to come over or around or through the dam. So the in my work with sexual addicts, I try to bring them to a point a healthy reverence of sexuality. Again, I want to conserve and preserve it. Uh, not be indiscreet about the expression or the sharing of my sexuality, but I also want to see it as a a very natural, organic, um, beautiful life force that God has embedded into me. 
And so when those two merge, uh, healthy restraint and celebration of the beauty and the spirituality of our sexual nature, then we have the chance for healing from the addiction. What are some of the things that uh, that you do to help a person who has sexual addiction to move into that place of of the middle, of that place of sacred sexuality and out of the compulsion and the shame? Well, a series of things, Anna. One, um, almost without exception, when I'm working with addiction in general and certainly with sexual addiction, I will begin with a an exploration of the family of origin, of what was happening romantically and sexually in the lives of the persons who nurtured me and reared me into adulthood. Because oftentimes we will find that some patterns of sexual acting out or acting in are multi-generational. Uh, if mom and dad were not well wedded in their romanticism and their sexuality, as a child, as a teenager growing up in that family, uh, remember, children are very intuitive. They soak in, they absorb almost by osmosis some of the feelings uh, going on in the parental marriage. So if there were significant flaws, disruptions, areas of incompleteness in that union between mom and dad, it's important now as an adult child that I be aware of the legacy that was handed down to me, and that way I'm empowered as a recovering sex addict to make some new choices. Uh, I have the legacy of what was left by mom and dad. I can select healthy parts of that to retain. I can also uh, discard portions of that legacy that were very dysfunctional. So working with the family of origin, uh, memories, and history is important. And also just doing a, a personal sexual history from childhood through teen years into adulthood. And oftentimes uh, the sex addict has never sat down and in a trusted, professional, confidential setting been able to talk about the history of my sexuality. And again, the, uh, the illumination that comes out of that gives the person uh, the option with God's power to do some new choice-making. Instead of my sexuality driving me, uh, I'm able to steer and direct and choose how and when and where I invest my romanticism and my sexuality into a relationship. So it is all about that uh, making choices, about not being driven by what's hidden inside of yourself, the old memories and so forth. But it's, as you're saying, about the, sounds like the foundation is making, making choices, understanding some things about where you came from. The, the choice-making is, is crucial, Anna. Um, 
in the 12-step group of Motions Anonymous, they have slogans and aphorisms just as Alcoholics Anonymous has. And one of the key um, aphorisms in Emotions Anonymous is the simple statement, I have a choice. And that may sound a bit simplistic, but when I'm in the throes of an addiction, uh, I do have to remind myself of that uh, daily, um, one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. I do have choices about what I do uh, with my body and with my spirit. Thank you, Robert. Let's put a bookmark right there. It's time for our break. And stay with us, listeners. We'll be right back and continue talking about recovering sacred sexuality with my guest, Dr. Robert Hemfeld. If you've tuned in for Touching the Stillness with host Reverend Paulette Pipe, then you know the power of her soul-stirring meditations. And if her programs leave you wanting more, you can purchase her meditation CD, Touching the Stillness, and you'll be able to take Paulette's calming voice along with you wherever you go. This enthralling CD contains three separate self-contained meditations that can either be listened to in one sitting or one at a time. Whatever your preference, Paulette's mesmerizing voice will transport you beyond thoughts and sounds to a sacred place of stillness and soul remembrance. So go ahead, enliven your meditation practice with the Touching the Stillness CD from Reverend Paulette Pipe and let the stillness touch you. To obtain your copy, go to www.unity.org and click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on shop. Somewhere tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, Words from Our Past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. 
We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're joining us today. And if you are just tuning in, our topic today is Recovering Sacred Sexuality, and my guest is Dr. Robert Hemfelt. Uh, Dr. Hemfelt is uh, a psychologist and a marriage and family therapist. He works uh, with adults and adolescents on marriage, dating, family, and uh, relationship issues, and on addiction recovery, and uh, sacred sexuality and spirituality. So we're very glad to have him talking with us today. And so uh, before the break, we were talking about um, some of the things that a person can do to recover their sacred sexuality, someone that's recovering from sexual addiction and uh, what they can begin to do. So uh, what else can they do? We talked about knowing their family history, knowing their own sexual history. What else are some positive steps? What about 12-step programs? Well, fortunately, in this day and age, Anna, uh, we have uh, multiple 12-step programs that do specifically address sexual and relationship issues. And these are groups that um, any of our listeners can uh, Google and pull up if there are meetings in their locale. Uh, We have Codependence Anonymous, CODA. We have um, SAA, Sexual Addictions Anonymous. We have SLAA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. We have COSA, which is for uh, spouses and family members of the sex addicts. So uh, there's widespread recognition that this is a, uh, a legitimate addiction and when I say legitimate addiction, sometimes people will make some quick moral judgments and say, uh, no, this is not addiction, this is just uh, old-fashioned sin. But um, my goodness, uh, we know that it has um, every feature and attribute of addiction. It tends to be chronic, it tends to be progressive, it tends to devour key relationships around me. That's the tragic side of it. And it is something that can be brought into 12-step spiritual, emotional recovery. And I think it uh, requires re-embracing my sexuality so that I I neither uh, hold my sexuality in contempt nor do I attempt to uh, completely seal off or censor my sexuality? And to be in a group like SAA or SLAA, I, I lose that sense of aloneness because oftentimes the sex addict will assume I'm off in a corner looking at pornography and no one else is and how... Uh, society would view me with contempt if they knew. Um, And so to sit in a room with other persons who are trying to find that balance between uh, overexpression of sex versus censorship of sex, that group dynamic, uh, that sense that I am one among many, uh, can be enormously empowering 
You know, one thing that comes to mind as you're speaking about that is that uh, that sexual addiction and substance addiction can go together, and sometimes people can be in really good, solid recovery from alcoholism or other drug addiction, and yet they might still be having the sexual addiction, and it can create another layer of shame and upset with themselves. Talk to us about that a bit. So that well, we, we know that many addictions are what we call polyaddictions, and that is, uh, I, I sometimes am fond of saying, uh, if you see one addiction, there is probably a cluster of addictions. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's not at all uncommon that uh, if I am abusing chemicals, I may get into successful recovery from the chemical abuse. Uh, put the jug in the plug, stop the abuse of alcohol, and then may have to face in my fourth and fifth step inventory work uh, the fact that I'm having uh, chronic, uh, serial, extramarital affairs and that this is its own uh, separate addiction that needs its specific recovery. So, yes, uh, We call these comorbid addictions. Um, One can be chemically addicted. One can have an eating disorder. One can have a gambling disorder. One can have a sexual addiction. These tend to travel in pairs and threes and clusters. Uh, In psychology, we oftentimes talk about the fact that there may well be uh, what we call an addictive personality, and that personality is prone to the misuse of multiple activities and substances. So I would just encourage for anyone in any 12-step recovery, uh, somewhere in my inventory, along with my primary identified addictions, Is there a secondary, is there a tertiary addiction that travels with the primary addiction? Right, so there's no need to hide or be ashamed if, if, if it is so that you start to uncover some layers there, but to get some help, not to feel like you have to keep it a secret or, you know, just suffer. Yeah, breaking breaking the the code of silence, shattering out of that shell of secrecy, that is so important, uh, Anna. And uh, I've sometimes compared, I think we are now in the early part of the 20th century with sexual addiction, where we were perhaps with chemical dependencies back in the 1930s and 40s, When AA was formed, uh, we sometimes forget that uh, alcoholism was uh, highly stigmatized at the time that Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith formed Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, By the grace of God, people talk much more openly about it. There is an understanding that it is an illness that can be treated Probably we still have that uh, unduly harsh stigma tied to sexual addiction. And we need to be able to 
break beyond that and say, again, our, our sexuality is this wonderful, robust, God-given force, and with my addictive personality, if it is being acted out in ways that are counterproductive, I can bring that into recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, that that's so important, that sense of of hope, that sense that there is uh, recovery for people uh, that have sexual addiction, or even if it's not what one might call addic- a full-blown addiction or whatever, just that shame uh, that most people tend to have, that that is that in itself, dealing with the shame is an important part of recovery and, and really breaking into uh, real intimacy with people, that kind of uh, sharing and sense of community, sense of friendship, or if you're in a committed relationship, that sense of real uh, acceptance and love with your partner uh, so that it's not about getting high, so to speak, but it's about being close to people. That seems like a real antidote, a, a real part oh, of recovery. Oh, it's very, very, very important, Anna. Um, if I only view my sexuality as some kind of um, orgasmic experience that triggers the pleasure center of the brain, then it is divorced, it is separated from the deep, rich intimacy of a committed romantic union. And uh, if those two are allowed to commingle and merge, the emotional intimacy supports the sexuality, the sexuality enhances and uh, buttresses the romanticism, and the two can act in a synergistic fashion. And what we find with many people is that they have split off their sexuality. It's not invested in their most intimate relationship. It's being acted out uh, autoerotically or at least in secret somewhere away from the primary relationship, and that's uh, a waste and a shame. It it detracts uh, tremendously from the primary romantic pair bond. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's about getting that emotional maturity and being willing to to take the kind of appropriate risks to get close to people, to be vulnerable, to let yourself be known? Yes, and, you know, one of the ironies of sexual addiction, uh, sexual addiction can uh, almost imitate or masquerade as a kind of sexual liberation. Uh, In reality, most sex addicts are not only in bondage to the addiction itself, but they're also somewhat uh, entrapped in the sexuality and not able to merge it, bring it into their deepest, most uh, romantic union. And that's why we will sometimes see uh, a couple that appears happily married and successful, and one or both partners are doing something uh, outside the committed union with their sexuality. And that 
We're going to have to wrap it up right there, unfortunately, because our time is up. Um, Thank you so much, Robert, for sharing all these ideas with us. This has been a very powerful um, uh, time, and you've given us wonderful ideas and lots of strength and hope. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you all for listening. We're glad you're here. And uh, next week, join us. Our topic is going to be recovery from pathological gambling, the hidden addiction. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio, Words from Our Past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. The Unity message is universal, uniting, empowering, and transformational. Carrying this message to the world with the power of music and song are scores of singers and songwriters who dedicate their extraordinary gifts to helping heal the world and spread the message of unity and oneness. These are the messengers of unity. 
Zapalooza, music that matters, with host Richard McDeasy to hear the music and the artists who are changing the world, one song at a time. Fridays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcast.